You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Who's up for starting this morning with a little game? Anybody want to play a quick game this morning? Anybody at all? Okay, one lady here in the front. We're going to go. Hey, bring out Mark Bishop here. Uh, Mark Bishop is on the hot seat today. Give it up for Mark. Mark, have a seat here. He has no idea what's about to happen other than he's been nominated to play a game. And so I'm going to explain the game, Mark. You are in the Foothills Church hot seat. And so we're going to give you an opportunity uh, to win a prize today. But to do so, you've got to get at least 10 questions right. Okay, so I'm going to, there's, there's 12 questions. You've got to get at least 10 right. And here's the topic of the questions. The topic of the questions are everything to do with slogans and mottos. So I'm going to give you a company's slogan, a company's motto, and you're going to give me the answer, okay? And you're going to have 60 seconds to do that. Got it? Got it. You want to know what you're playing for? Sure. You're playing for coffee, Mark. Coffee, all right? I fasted from coffee for 21 days. Well, then this is a God-ordained moment. It's going to happen. Now, don't help him out, okay, even though he needs his coffee now, okay? Guys, dim the lights. Here we go. Sixty seconds on the clock, please. Question number one: It's finger licking good. KFC. Correct. I'm loving it. McDonald's. Correct. Every kiss begins with K's. Correct. Just do it. Nike. America runs on Dunkin' Donuts. Correct. You belong here. Foothills Church. Correct. The few, the proud, the The Marines. Correct. Yes. In God we trust. United States of America. Correct. Shave time, shave money. Don't know. Pass. Pass, okay. Quality is job one. Ford. Correct. That's it. Give it up for him right here. You're the man. Here you go. Fantastic. $20. Feel free to enjoy that with your wife and uh, break that fast today. Good job. She's not in here. Don't tell anybody. Don't. (laughs) Hey, thanks, Mark. Give a round of applause for Mark. How many... How many of you guys would have done pretty well at that game? Anybody would just admit, okay. Would you have gotten you belong here? I know we kind of had a pause. Some of you would say you would have got, okay, you would have got that one pretty good. What about in God we trust? How many of you guys knew that our nation's official motto is in God we trust? Did anybody know that? Okay, so maybe half of us, a lot of us didn't know that. And, and what's interesting about that is how it kind of all sh- transpired. Back in the late 1860s, um, there was this uprising and sentiment in our country. Um, and we wanted, or they wanted the world to know what our country was really about. And so uh, there was one pastor, particularly he's on record, Reverend M. Watkinson. He was a pastor in Ridleyville, Pennsylvania. And he sent a letter to then Secretary of Treasury, Salmon Chase, requesting that something about God be put on our currency. And at that time, it was mostly coins being used. And so there were thousands of people that were trying to do this back in 1864. And you guys know, if you're history buffs, that that was also the beginning of the Civil War. And so we, we at that time wanted the world to know 
what we stood for despite all the uh, uh, atrocities that were happening in our country. And so they started to debate it, and they were like, yeah, this is a good idea. So what are we actually going to put on the coin? Is it going to say our trust is in God or our God and our country? What's it going to be? And so they finally decided on what it was going to be, and they actually took a a, a phrase from the Star-Spangled Banner. And uh, you may not know this, but the Star-Spangled Banner actually has four uh, verses to it. We, uh, if, if you grew up in um, a traditional church, you know, you probably sang hymns out of the hymn book. Anybody do that? And so like in the hymn book, there were typically always four verses, at least four verses. And so we always sang the first verse and the, and the fourth verse for some reason. Number two and number three always got axed for whatever reasons. But uh, the, you, you kind of understand, like when we sing the national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, we, we only sing the first verse But the fourth verse is the money verse. And in that verse, it actually says, in God is our trust. And so they they adapted that phrase and they decided the phrase that we know today, and that is, in God we trust, to be on several of the coins. Uh, And that started in 1864. But by 1909, every single coin had, in God we trust, on it. Fast forward about 40 years later, on July 11th, 1955, then-President Dwight Eisenhower made it official and declared and signed it into law that every currency, coin and paper, would have the phrase, in God we trust, and it is also law that the motto of our country is officially, in God we trust. Now, a lot of us maybe didn't realize that. You didn't know that was, it was on the coin, it was on the dollar bill and, the, and our money. You knew that, but you didn't know it was like our official um, motto as a, as a country. And we, we hear that and we think, man, that's awesome for, for us, but we also know that there are many in our country who are bringing lawsuit after lawsuit and trying to do everything they can to remove that statement from our paper, to remove uh, that statement from any coin and any currency that we have. And, and uh, we would say, no, man, this is awesome. We love this as a church, as Christians. We want that to stay our nation's motto. We would love for that to stay on our currency. And if more people would get on board with that idea, we wouldn't be experiencing so many problems that we're actually experiencing today. When we took God out of schools, we want to take God out of the government. I mean, we want to erase God from everything that our nation was founded on. And as a church, we look back and say, no, 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 no. We want God in the center of our culture, right? I mean, you would give an amen to that, right? I mean, we believe that, yes, God did create the world, not the Big Bang Theory. We do believe in morality. We do believe in truth and Again, we wouldn't be experiencing so much chaos in our country if we would rally around this as a nation. But here's the problem. The problem is all good old southern Christians in the room would all say amen to in God we trust. But the reality is there are many in the room who actually don't live their life with trust in God. We're all for it being a motto. Let's put it on the wall. Let's put it on the dollar bill. Let's let's paste it on Facebook. But when it comes down to it, there are several in the room that aren't trusting in God. And here's the irony of the whole thing. The irony of the whole thing as Christians is we have this motto 
on our money, in God we trust. And yet, for many of us in the room, trusting God with our money is the last thing on your mind. Isn't that ironic? I think some of you in the room probably are thinking, if, especially if you're 45 years or older, you're probably thinking, oh, great, a series on money. Awesome. And then if you're below 40, uh, 45, 40 years old, that younger generation is, is thinking, sweet. He's, I would love to know what the Bible talks about, you know, uh, as far as money and stewardship. And I'd, I'd love to kind of figure that out because I don't really have a, a, a clue on, on really how to manage that well. And, and the difference in the age groups today is that if you're over 45, you grew up in the age of TV evangelists where they were constantly saying, hey, send in your money and I'm going to give you a prayer cloth that I prayed over and you're going to get a new car. And there were, you know, morality issues and affairs and scandals. And you, you were kind of raised in that and you saw that. And so you started potentially to have some issues with church and money. Or maybe you've got just a, a background where you were in a situation or in a church or in a setting where um, per, per, perhaps there were some uh, situations that happened that kind of jaded you a little bit. Maybe you consider yourself a, a businessman, and, and yeah, I mean, you're you know, in the financial world, and, and you, uh, you think, what in the world, Trent, are you going to teach me about money? Like, like, you're a financial planner, or you know how to budget, you, you know how to handle um, money, you, you, you know how to invest, you, you know how to deal with it, um, and the reality is uh, there are a lot of people in the room that are like that, and I, I understand that. Um, but I also feel like if you've got a problem with the pastor talking about biblical stewardship or what the Bible says about money, um, then, then really, based on your experiences and, and, and those kinds of things, you've got to recognize that your experiences are playing a big part of that. And then you also have to look at it like this. Like if you have a problem with me talking about anything that is spoken of in this book, I'm not the one with the problem. The church is not the one with the problem. You're the one with the issue. Does that make sense? And so I say that on the front end because I want to begin to kind of smooth out some of the rough edges of some of the, particularly some of the men in the room that like to bow up anytime a pastor wants to talk about and preach on things that are in the Bible that have to do with our resources. But here's the good news. Everybody take a deep breath. <gasps> this series is not actually about money. The series is actually about trust. And so for us, we want to begin to wrap our minds around this idea of trust. Because here's the deal. When it comes to faith in Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, what you have said with that faith is that you are trusting in the death of Jesus as your punishment, as, as a payment for your sins. And so you're saying, God, I trust that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for my sins, that he rose from the grave, and that by faith in Jesus, I can have forgiveness of my sin, a, re, a, a relationship with the creator of the universe. The Spirit of God lives inside of me. I get to live for him in this life, and one day when I die or when Jesus comes back, I get to live in eternity in heaven forever. That's what you're saying. Now think about the amount and level of trust that that requires. You're trusting in God for your eternity. And yet you can't trust God with a couple thousand dollars here and there. Isn't that ironic? 
eternity. I trust you. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Death, funeral, my life is over. Here's my paycheck, and nope, not trusting you with this, God. I have got to get that new couch. <laughs> no, I have got to get the new lease on the latest car, man, because I have got to look good, right? It's very interesting how we think. So here's my question for you. If you say you trust God for your eternity, why in the world are you struggling so much to trust God with money? Well, we know the answer to that. Even if you're a believer today, if you're struggling to put God first in your money, what it simply means is you have not yet given him authority over your money. You see, when we make Jesus our Lord and Savior, we are saying that he is the authority in our life. He is the authority over how I live my life. And so he, he has authority over my job. He has authority over my marriage. He has authority over my behavior. I surrender and I submit my behavior, my life, everything to the lordship, the authority of Jesus. And yet as Christians, because sin is still in our life, we still wrestle with giving him authority of everything in our life. And, and one of the key areas of our life that every single person in the room has struggled with at one point or another is giving him authority over our bank account. So in this series, my hope is that by the end of it, we would be able to actually trust God with our resources in a fresh and brand new way. You may not know this, but Jesus talked more about money uh, than he did heaven or hell. And you might say, why would he have done that? And, and I think he did that because you and I think about money more than we think about heaven or hell. Let's be honest. I mean, it's just a reality. I mean, we think about how to get money. How, how are we going to get more of it? We think about how we're going to make money. We think about how we're going to save more money. We think about how we're going to invest more money and how we're going to protect the money that we have. I mean, we think about money a lot. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's the reality, and I think it makes sense. Uh, that's kind of why Jesus spent so much time dealing with it. And so if you really trust God with your resources here, we want to begin to understand how we actually handle it. Because when Jesus talks about money, he's talking about us being a manager of our resources. And he says that handling our resources is really a spiritual habit. It's a spiritual discipline. Just like uh, the spiritual discipline or the spiritual habit of prayer would lead us to a closer relationship with Jesus. I mean, I don't think you would argue that prayer is necessary for us to grow in our faith. we got to talk to God. And then uh, in the same way that reading our Bibles is a spiritual discipline, we've got to be in the Word of God if we're going to actually grow and mature in our faith. And so we don't, we don't really push back on that. But how in, in, in the manner in which we handle the money and the resources that we've been given is also a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual habit, and we believe that as we manage it faithfully, God blesses and we become closer to him. And God is actually watching and keeping note of how you actually use and, and spend your money. When it comes to handling your money, it's all about trust. Do you trust God? And on the flip side, can God trust you? You see, some of you are blessed today because five years ago, you trusted God with your resources. You've been faithful with that. And so today, your spiritual life, your marriage, maybe even your financial life has been blessed as a result of that. 
There's probably another group in the room that five years ago, you weren't putting God first in your resources. You weren't trusting God with your money. And as a result, today you're in a worse off situation than you were five years ago. And so God is watching. He wants us to understand how and why to spend our money. Like, where do we take it? How do we manage it well? And so today I want to give you three financial habits that are going to please God. And so if you already do this, then you're going to affirm this and check, check, check. This is going to be just an encouragement for you today that you are on the right track. But perhaps some of you haven't instilled these three financial habits that I believe are going to change your life. And over the next two weeks, you're going to hear some things that I think God is going to use to bless you in a powerful way as it relates to your resources. So if you're taking notes, the first financial habit is this. Every single one of us, we've got to remember that God is my source. God is my source. And that's what the Bible teaches us first and foremost about money. I have to learn to trust God with my money. And when I do, I'm remembering that he is the source. That's the starting point. If, if you start anywhere else, then it could get kind of out of whack and it maybe not make logical sense to you. And so we've got we've to start here that, that it's our starting point. And remember that God is the source of everything. Your salary is not your source. The economy is not your source. My savings account is not my source. God is the source of everything that I have, including my resources. Look at Deuteronomy 8.18 on the screen. It says, but remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. So this is a fundamental aspect of, of a believer and of someone who has faith in Christ. God gives us the ability to make and produce wealth. The reason why this is important is because we want to put our security in something that can't be taken away from us. And for many of us, we have put our security, our confidence in our bank account. And we have to reverse that because you want to put your security in something that can't be taken away from you. Think about it. It's why some of you are insecure today because your security is in a relationship. And guess what? That relationship can be unstable. And that relationship can end. And if it ends, then where's your security? It's, it's fundamentally shaken if your security is in your job, guess what? That can be taken. You could lose that. Your security could be in your savings account or, or in your 401k, but guess what? That can be taken. You know the one thing in this world that cannot be taken from you is your relationship with God. That can never be taken from you. Therefore, my security has to be founded in this understanding and remember this every single day that God is my source, God is my source, God is my source, and in him I find my security. Here's what Psalm 89, 11 says. It says, the heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. So God, the world is yours, the heavens are yours, the universe, it belongs to you, the world and everything that it contains. So the world and everything in the world belongs to God. You, he says, founded them. I mean, this, this is fundamentally taught all throughout the Bible, and that is that God owns everything. I mean, he is the source. He owns it all, and that means everything that I have is actually just loaned to me from God. That's why the Bible calls it stewardship, 
That just means that you're a manager of something that doesn't belong to you. You're managing somebody else's property, somebody else's material wealth. And so you don't really own anything on this planet. It's just loaned to you while you're here. It wasn't yours before you were born. And guess what? It won't be yours after you you die. You just get to use it for 80, 90, maybe 100 years. That'd be awesome. But it all belongs to God. And after you die, somebody else is going to be loaned everything that you had. Everything. Everything is going to be loaned to somebody else. The government's going to get some of it. Maybe your kids are going to get some of it or or whatever, but it's going to be loaned to someone else. Here's what Job says in Job chapter 1. He says, naked I came into the world, and naked I'm going to leave. Like, you didn't bring anything into this deal, and you're not taking any of this with you. So God is my source. Here's the second habit, if you want to please God. Second habit is this. My finances... When it comes to my finances, I've got to make money honestly. And so that's the question. Like, like God is my source, and then my desire, my actions, my behavior, the way that I live my life, I am actually making money honestly. This is what God blesses. Proverbs 15, 27 says it like this. The one who profits dishonestly troubles his household. Some translations say grief comes to his whole family. So in other words, if you are profiting dishonestly, God's not going to bless them. God blesses integrity. He does not bless deceitfulness. And so I can go out and make a bunch of money, but if I make it dishonestly, it's going to bring trouble onto my family. It's going to bring trouble and grief and problems in my family. You say, well, whew, luckily, Trent, I don't have to worry about this one because I'm making money honestly. I'm not robbing any banks. I'm not stealing anything. Whoo, I can take a deep breath on this one. Thanks. Whoo, might get me on the next one, but right now I'm good. Here's the reality, though. Here's a good example. Do you give a full day's work to your employer? You give a full day's work to your employer? You see, if he's or she is asking you to work a full day, and you show up late, you take a really long lunch break, get a nap in, and then you leave early, have you really given to your boss everything that they are paying you for? Of course not. As followers of Christ, we should get there on time. We should be known as the people that work the hardest, stay when we're supposed to stay, be there when we're supposed to be there, and then leave when it's okay to leave. And by doing that, we are working unto the Lord. By doing that, we honor God and and we are actually making money honestly. We are earning the check. But if we're showing up late, we're sleeping in, we're leaving early, we're not giving 100%, we're on Facebook all day or half the day while you're on the clock, that is dishonesty. And and God's not going to bless dishonesty. And so we want to give our employer our full attention and our full effort. Here's what Proverbs 16, 11 says. Honest balances and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bags are his concern. All the weights are his concern. So what does that mean? Well, it just simply means that when I'm dealing with you, when I'm making a negotiation with someone, I don't lie to them. I don't cheat them. In this time, they would 
They would use scales to balance how much flour you were going to get or how much this you were going to get. And so you could really, you could cheat the scales so that, hey, I'm selling you five pounds, but really it's only four pounds. And so you could cheat people that way. And and he says, don't do that. God's not going to bless that kind of behavior. And so in our world, we don't want to sell a car to you if I know it's a clunker. You know, I I don't want to sell my house and say, hey, it is an A1A shape, man, knowing that the plumbing is shot and it's built on an Indian burial ground, like ghosts are flying around and stuff. Like, that's dishonest, okay? So we want to be honest and upfront, and you see, God will bless that. The alternative is that he will will hold us accountable to that sin uh, in our life. So God blesses integrity. Here's the third habit. I don't want to camp out here for a minute, but the third habit is this. You've got to develop this honor for God. And when you honor God first with your wealth, then you are moving in the direction of finally trusting in God. So what does it look like to honor God first with our money? Well, before I honor my family, before I honor my house payment, before I honor whatever credit card or whatever debt I might be in, before I honor, you know, Banana Republic, I'm going to honor the Lord, right? So we're going to put him first. And in the Bible, this is the principle of tithing. Now there's that word, right? Over 45ers are like, there's that word, man. Some of us get hung up on that word. Why do we get hung up on that word? Well, I just simply want to look at the Bible today, and you can judge and you can make your own decision, but let's just open our hearts to the Word of God and begin to see what the Lord has for us, because the bottom line is this. You've got to put God first in whatever you want Him to bless. If you want Him to bless your marriage, then you put Him first in your marriage. If you want Him to bless your business, then you put Him first in your business, Whatever area of your life you want God to bless you in, you've got to ensure that you've given him authority over. And so if you want God to bless your finances, your money, you've got to put him first in your money. Now, if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. This is a very popular uh, couple of verses, but, if, if, but most of us don't go all the way through uh, to uh, verse 10 that I'm going to read. We usually stop at verse uh, 5. Let's look at it together. It says this in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. So there's that word. Trust in God. In God we trust, right? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Here it is. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. He says, trust in God with all of your heart and don't trust your own understanding. I mean, isn't this where we get in trouble? We trust in our own understanding. We trust in what we think is right. This is the, I mean, this is the crux of what trust is, isn't it? 
God, I'm going to trust you and what you tell me to do. I don't know. I'm going to trust in my own understanding and trust in what I think I should do. That's the battle, isn't it? That's where we live, the tension of our life constantly. Am I going to trust God in this situation? Am I going to trust my own understanding in this situation? And he's saying here, trust God with all of your heart. Now, why our heart? Why, he, why would he use that? And, and the reason is in the Bible, when you see the word heart, it, it, it is representing what we are living our life out of. So out of our heart is, is how we live. This is, is really where our behavior really comes from. And so there's, there's two parts of a man. There's two parts of a woman. There's the, the outer man, the, the, the outer suit, our body. And so uh, that's, that's the outside of us. And we're going to get a new suit when Jesus returns or we go home to be with him forever. We're going to get a brand new body. Um, and then there's the inner man. And this inner man, this inner woman um, is, is the, the causal core of your personhood. In other words, it is where the, the, the very foundation of your emotions rest. It, it's what you value most. It's what, where your desires are. It's where your thoughts come out of. Think of your heart as the steering wheel for your life and for your behavior. So out of my heart, it's the GPS system of where I navigate my life and where I'm going and, and who I'm doing it with. And, and so that's why he uses the word heart here. He says, trust God with all of your heart. Carrie Underwood was right. Jesus, take the wheel, right? Because my heart is the wheel that is driving my behavior and my life. He says, turn away from evil. He says, acknowledge me. Acknowledge him in all your ways. In other words, give him authority in all your ways. Acknowledge him that he is the source in every part of your life. Acknowledge him every single day that he is your Lord. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. Put him first. Turn away from evil, he says, and your body will be healed. Your body will be refreshed. And then he says, honor the Lord specifically with the first fruits or the first part of your wealth, not the last part, not what, with whatever is left over. You get that, right? Like if, if, if I give God what's left over, that's not honoring him first. That's not trust. That's God after my Verizon bill and after my, you know, charter bill and after my, you know, car note and after my mortgage and light bill and trash bill and taxes and everything else that I owe, you know, then God, whatever I've got left over, then you can, you can have. Listen, that is not what we clearly see in the Bible. It's just not. You cannot like what I'm saying today. You cannot like it all day long. But it's just not honoring to God. And so when we see this and he says, I want you to honor the Lord with the, with the first part of your produce. And, and obviously wealth at that time, it was an agriculture society. And so they were farming and their produce and, and uh, their, their vineyards. And so he's like, when you give and honor God first, you're going to have plenty. Your barns are going to be bursting. Your wine vats are going to be bursting. In other words, this is a symbol of having everything you need because God is going to provide and give to you abundantly. Here's how Jesus says it in Matthew 6, 19. You know this. You've heard this. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Listen, for where your treasure is, there your what? Your heart will be also. Here it is again the steering wheel of your life. 
In other words, your heart is going to steer towards your money, your treasure. Whatever you're giving money towards, your heart is going to steer towards that, and you're going to start running after that. And so it's, it's simple. He tells us. He's like, look, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's wise. God wants your heart. He's not after your money. Our church is not after your money. I don't get a raise if you give. What happens when you give is we get to hire more staff, more people meet Jesus, we get to build a counseling center, we get to start campuses. That's what we get to do. Jesus is after your heart. He's not after your money because whatever we begin to give to, the steering wheel of our heart starts to set its course for that treasure. That's what he's after, and he makes it simple. He says, don't invest in treasures in earth because it's not going to last. You're not taking that house with you. You're not taking that silly car with you. You still don't look cool no matter what the car looks like, FYI. (laughs) Ask your teenager. Ask her. That's the greatest piece of humility in my life for my kids. Like, no matter what I think, they're right there to keep me humble, right? And so, so he says, don't invest in earthly things. It's not going to last. Instead, invest into the kingdom of God, the church. The church is God's plan A to win this world to Jesus. You can give to other organizations, that is great, but what is credited to your account for the kingdom of God is what is given to God's plan to redeem the world to Jesus Christ. This this is the reality that we've got to see. This is is the, the account that God Credits. We want to be generous in all areas, and I hope we're generous and we're, we're giving above and beyond over here and, 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 and over in this area and to this place. That's great. But our first place of business must be to honor God's church with the first fruit, with the first part of our income. And this is the word tithe. Let's flip over into your Bible and into Malachi. If you don't know where that's at, Go to the book of Matthew, take a left. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. He clearly teaches us what this is, and I know this is Old Testament. I'm going to address this, and uh, we're going we're gonna to see how it makes sense for us today. But here's what the Lord says in Malachi 3, verse 6. He says, for I, the Lord, do not change. By the way, great spiritual truth here. It's a good thing God doesn't change, because if God could change, that would mean that he was changing to be better than he is today. And that's pretty scary. (laughs) Like if God could get better, that means he's not perfect today. Or if he's going to get worse, that's really super scary. Like if he's going to start to slip. No, he says God is not going to change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from your statutes, and you have not kept them. He says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return to you? And God asked him a question. God says, well, man, rob God. And he answers that. He says, yet you are robbing me. But we say, that their response is, how have we robbed you? And God answers them, and your tithes and contributions. Two words there, tithes and contributions. Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That's what he's saying. You you have turned away from me. You have broken my commandments. Your heart is not coming after me anymore. And they're like, like, how? How how can you say that? And he says, because you're robbing me. Like, what do you mean we're robbing you? How are we robbing you? And he says, because you're not honoring me with your money. 
You're not putting me first. You're not honoring me first with the tithe. And he says, listen, put me to the test, man. I will show you. Like, if, if, if you start to honor me with your wealth, watch and see how the floodgates of heaven will open up and, 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 and watch and see how I will bless you. The word tithe literally means a tenth, right? So it's, a, it's 10%. And in the Old Testament, it refers to that first 10% that the Israelites were to give to God for the ministries of the temple service. So the first 10% of their gross income, by the way, it's not like, oh yeah, after all the bills and after you know, my taxes are, are out, then, then we give, no, like gross income, we give this 10% to God. You can look at Numbers 18, Numbers 27 to fund the ministries of the temple. But in addition to that, this is what's interesting when you study the Old Testament. In addition to that, there were other percentages and offerings that were required by God's people. So this is the offerings or the contributions that he's talking about. There was another 10% for festivals that they, that they gave and provided uh, for ministry in order to celebrate uh, in their community. You can read this in Deuteronomy 12, 17, and 14. There was another 3% uh, given to help poor, the, the poor people in, in the area. So this is Deuteronomy 14. There was what was called a crop gleaning that was collected for foreigners. So foreigners would come into their country. They wouldn't like kick them out. They would actually help them. And the way that they were helping them in Leviticus 19 is that they would give a percentage of their wealth. And then occasionally there were other offerings given to build the temple or to build the wall that Nehemiah around the Jerusalem city. Uh, we read that several months ago, Nehemiah 10. So when you look at it, they were, they were required to give 10%. But then when you take the entire Old Testament, you see it all put together. They were, they were actually giving up to 25% of their wealth and income for the ministries of the temple, what God was asking them to give. And so God's people today, we, we don't look at tithing as this, you better do this, man, or the lightning's going to come out of heaven. No, that's not how we look at it. We look at it as an opportunity to be faithful to God and return to him what already belongs to him. So I would, I would argue, and I have practiced this for a long time now, that in order to be faithful to the Lord, that we must give 10% as a starting point, not an ending point, but as a starting point to fund the ministries of God's church. And so I believe it's the greatest step to financial freedom that we could ever experience because it allows us to begin to Emulate God in a way that many of us have never been able to emulate him in, and that is in his generosity. For God so loved the world that he gave. And generosity is at the core of who God is. Generosity is at the core of grace. And so I know people object to this and say, well, this is Old Testament law, right? Well, just think for a second about what Jesus did when he comes onto the scene with the Old Testament law. He fulfilled the Old Testament law, and he said things like, you have heard that it was said, do not murder. But I tell you, don't look at a brother with anger. Don't burn with anger against the brother. See, Jesus takes the command and he, he ups the commitment. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, don't look lustfully at another woman. You see, the standard under the new covenant is so much higher than the old covenant. I think it's important to note uh, we also have to note that, that tithing was actually even before the Mosaic law was even established. Now, for the majority of you in here, you're like, 
I don't even know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> but there's a couple of people in here are like, oh, the Old Testament, man. Well, it, it was actually before Moses gave the law. Here's a couple examples. It says in Genesis uh, chapter 14 that Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Years later, Jacob, his grandson, gave a tithe to the Lord in Genesis 28. That was 400 years before the law was even given. So it's not just a Mosaic law commandment. This is a principle taught from Genesis all the way through the end of our scripture. What about the New Testament? This seals it for me. Jesus says this in Matthew 23, 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and dill and come and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These, he says, you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. He says, you should do this without undoing the other things. What are the other things? Tithing. He says, you've got to still tithe. But listen, that's the easy part in Jesus' mind. Like when you experience the grace of Jesus, like through the cross, you, a sinner, a worm, destined for hell, was given grace to receive Jesus by faith and have heaven. When you understand how much grace you have been given, tithing should be pretty easy when you think about it. The weightier matters he's talking about is seeking justice for the oppressed. Now, that's the difficult stuff. How are we going to figure that out? How are we going to stand up for the oppressed in our country that don't have a voice? Right? Those are the weightier matters. And, and he kind of says, look, 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 tithing, keep doing that. But that should be easy for you guys. See, when I first started working, uh, I remember... Uh, I, I wasn't making much money. I was making like $250 a week, right? And, and so I was taught to, to give 10%. And at that time, 25 bucks, man, that's okay. I can do that, right? And it didn't hurt that much. And, and uh, I, I, I was given that and truly believed that God uh, was blessing me. But that was a long time ago. And I feel like over the years, I've grown spiritually. I've matured a little bit. You can ask my wife. It's happened a little bit. <laughs> and so as I've grown in my maturity, I... I, the, my behavior has changed, and, and, and so what I think about, what I, what I pursue, how I talk to her, how I interact with her, it's all gotten more mature. It's more mature spiritually. And so if all of those areas spiritually have matured, why would I still be okay with the percentage that I was given at that time? Like, that was my faith at that time, but why would I want it to remain there? And so today, like as I've grown spiritually in behavior, I've also grown in the percentage that we've given to this church because, because tithing is not the ceiling. Tithing is the floor that we stand on. In other words, it's the starting point. But because we're under grace, we're not under the law, like we want to pursue like how can we give more? Because at some point, how, how much more do you need, especially in this country? I mean, if you're making a million dollars, and you're giving $100,000 to the church, that still means you have $900,000. I think you can make it with that pretty easily, right? Like how much more could you or should you be giving to others and for ministry? It's, a, it's, it's an important question. And so, yeah, my grace giving has increased. We saw what we gave. I received our statement from the church. If you haven't, you'll be receiving that for, from 2018. We see that, we're like, man, we could have gone on a lot of good family vacations with that. My wife could be wearing a lot more jewelry, right? We, we, could, we, could, have, we could have saved, we, we could have invested in a lot of different things, man. That, that could have gone a long way. But at the end of the day, we say, man, that, 
that's, that's, that's great for us. It's over 10%, but, but in the grand scheme of eternity, gosh, it's weak. So God, can our faith stretch more that we might take more of a risk and trust you more in the area of our finances? Because in God, we trust, right? This is who we are trusting. I don't lean on my own understanding. I lean on his understanding. Nothing that Jesus tells us to do makes any sense the first time you hear it. But then as your faith grows and you take those steps, then you realize, oh, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Here's some data that I want to give to you. This was a little disheartening as your pastor, so um, brace yourself. Um, here, here are the statistics of our giving in our church. So here's what we found after running the numbers for 2018. 33% of the people in our church gave 90% of our budget. 30%. So that's 234 giving units. And a giving unit is if you're married, you're a unit. If you're single, you're a unit. Your kids are uh, connected to you as a giving unit. So 234 units gave 90% of our budget. Well, what about that other 10%? Where did that come from? Well, that 10% represents 458 other giving units. And you gave 10% of the resources for God's kingdom and God's ministries in 2018. And the average gift out of that 458 giving units was $550. Not a week. $550 a week? Ooh, that'd be pretty... <laughs> That's pretty nice. Not a month, $550 a month, okay. $550 for the entire year. You spent three times that amount on your cell phone bill, looking at porn on your phone. That's a tragedy. You want to know why God isn't blessing your life. You want to know why God isn't honoring some of the things in your life that you're begging God to honor. Well, honor God first with the wealth and the first fruits. Begin to take that step. In God, we trust, right? I mean, we, want, we believe that. Don't you think it's time to begin to give him authority over that part of your life? I know what people say because I know the majority of you are in debt. And the first thing I always hear is, well, we're going to give, but we got to get out of credit card debt, or we got to get out of this debt or out of this debt. And, and just think logically for a minute how the creator of the universe perceives that mentality and that logic. Like, oh, okay, so let me get this straight. You're going to dishonor me with your wealth, get yourself in a lot of debt, and then you're going to tell me, I'll put you first once I get out of debt, which probably not going to happen anytime soon, let's be honest. And when I do pay off, you know, my American Express card, then I'm going to honor you, Lord. It just doesn't make logical sense. I would suggest, and I have been in debt. Look, we've made some really dumb decisions. Our first house, swipe, 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 curtains, couch, this and that. It was so exciting. And then we were like, oh, crap, what did we just do, you know? We never stopped tithing. And here's what I have found out. As I honor God first, 
He provides and enables me to fight and to claw and to get myself out of the messes that I create. But I never stop honoring God first. The bottom line is this. you got to put God first in whatever you want him to bless. Do you want him to bless you financially? Put him first. In two weeks, we're going to have a commitment time, and I'm going to give you what we have called in the past the 90-day challenge. And the 90-day challenge is this, that for 90 days, you're going to clean the slate and say, okay, 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 I got all these issues, I got all this stuff, here's what I'm going to do. For 90 days, I'm going to make the commitment to give God 10% for 90 days. And at the conclusion of that 90 days, if you don't feel like God has blessed you or you're not doing the right thing, I will give you every cent back just to show and to prove to you we're not after your money. God is after your heart, and I want your heart to trust in God. Let's pray. Father, we uh, pray that you would allow this message to sink into our hearts. We pray, Lord, that, that you would help us to process this. Help us, Lord, to make decisions that would put you first in the area of our finances. We pray, Lord, that you would, in fact, God, as we are faithful, bless us. Help us to see your hand of goodness and grace using the, the, the resources that, that we've blessed you with. And so, God, I pray for just couples that are going to go home and have conversations about this, and it's probably going to be intense fellowship And I pray, God, that you would give them the grace to be able to talk to each other about this with maturity. I pray that you would give husbands the the, the leadership ability to guide their wives in this conversation, that young people would turn their heart to you now while they're young and begin this habit and not wait, God, till later in their life, that now they would trust you with all of their heart. And so, Father, we give you... Uh, this prayer, we ask you to bless it, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close with a song together. Let's all stand to our feet and worship. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.